Hi again. The first talk was a bit of an introduction to Proverbs and what wisdom's all about. Um, in this one, we're actually going to get into a bit of nitty-gritty stuff, down to real details of what we actually do. Uh, so we're moving from sort of the big picture down into one particular area. And within that particular area, it's not even the big picture of that, but into some of the particular details of it. So that gives you a kind of overview of what we're trying to do here. Now, believe it or not, even though the Kindle's been out for a long time, people are still buying books, uh, lots of them. Uh, not a single fiction book made it into the Australian bestseller top 10 list for 2018. Now, I think that kind of tells you that we're very practical kinds of people here in Australia. Uh, but let me ask you, does anyone here know what the best-selling book in Australia for 2018 was? What was it? You are correct. If you didn't hear, um, Kirsty, it's the Barefoot Investor book by Scott Pape. It's subtitled, if you can't see it there, The Only Money Guide You Will Ever Need. Now, the best-selling book for 2018 was also the same as the best-selling book for 2017. That's two years running that this book has been the top seller in Australia. Now, I've read it. I think it's a pretty helpful book. Put up your hand if you've read it here. Okay. More than a million copies sold in Australia. It, on Amazon, more than 420 five-star reviews. That's pretty incredible, I reckon. Now, whatever that tells you, it shows that Australians, when it comes to finances, think that they haven't got much of an idea, and they're looking for wisdom, they're looking for help about how to manage money. Now, I know there's been an argument in the last couple of weeks about whether we're in a recession or not in this country, but I can tell you we've lived through a period of unbelievable prosperity in Australia. Anyone who is younger than me, and I'm in my late 30s now, won't remember what a recession is like. I can just remember it. I can remember my dad coming home each day from work with this tension in the air whether he would still have a job or not, even though he worked for the public service. People were losing their jobs left, right and centre. Interest rates were up. But that's 30, nearly 30 years ago that we were in that situation. Now, at the same time, we're now richer than we've ever been as a country, Unemployment at record lows, well, it seems to me that financial anxiety levels are somewhere way up here, almost to the same point that I remember from the last time there was a recession. Literally, millions of Australians think that they've got a problem with their finances and they're looking for help. And I think that's right. The sad truth is that most Australians haven't got a clue when it comes to money. And I can tell you now, as a church pastor, that it's no different inside the church. I reckon Christians in my church are about as good with money as the average Gladstonite, or Gladstoner as I like to refer to them, are with their money. Now, it makes me a bit sad that that's the case, because I'm convinced that as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we've got better resources to draw on than even the barefoot investor. 
God's given us a church to care for us, that we're part of. We have a heavenly father who's generous, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as Josh reminded us in the prayer. And in the book of Proverbs, we have wisdom from a better author than Scott Pape, a wiser author. And the Bible has a lot to say about money, particularly about how to use it wisely, not least of all in the book of Proverbs, which isn't shy about talking about money, even if we are. Now, this is going to be one of those times when we're going to be roaming through the book of Proverbs a bit. The book of Proverbs is set up with the first nine chapters, which is a series of poems about how great wisdom is and how we should be seeking it out. And then, after you get beyond chapter 10 and beyond, it goes into the more proverby kind of material, the kind of stuff that you might naturally think of when you think of the book of Proverbs. There's no particular order or arrangement to the themes, which means that we've got to do a bit of work to bring different threads together. I reckon if we have a look at this, we don't have time to look about everything Proverbs has to say. I've had to pick out three things that I think are helpful. Not the only three things Proverbs has to say, and it's not the complete picture, but three things that I reckon are helpful for us to hear today. So that's what we're doing. Let's look at three wise things Proverbs has to say about using money. Now, first of all, and this one might seem a bit surprising, even a bit counterintuitive, it comes from that chapter we've just read, chapter 8. Proverbs insists that there are things much more valuable than money. Come with me down to verse 10 if you've still got it open there. It's as if wisdom is a person here, we're hearing her speak to us. She says, choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now down to verse 18. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of peace, of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. See what it's saying? See, in our minds, we think money is perhaps one of the most valuable things we can have. And yet Proverbs says that if Bunnings sells wisdom on the shelf, what should you do? Run down, load up the trolley as high as you can, take it to the car and go back. Keep buying until everything on the shelf, every bit of wisdom is gone. Hire a truck if you need to. Get wisdom more than anything else. It's more valuable than choice gold and silver. Buy it like it's going out of fashion. Now money's important. But Proverbs wants us to be straight with this, that money must never be the most important thing in our lives. See, as we've seen, it insists that wisdom of, begins with the fear of the Lord, starts with being reconciled to our Heavenly Father. It, that's ground zero for living rightly in this world when it comes to anything, especially money. 
And as we hear the, the gospel's words of life, it tells us that the most important thing of all is God himself. His worth, his value are greater than anything else, all the money in the world. Our greatest good is tied up with him. And when we stop our rebellion against him and return to him and acknowledge that he's the king of our lives and the Lord of everything, well, that's when we have true riches. That's when we have a heavenly inheritance from our heavenly father. To be truly rich, the first step is to be reconciled to God. And in a sense, you already have it all. Now, there's a parable Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who's out digging in someone else's field. He uncovers some treasure. And what's he do? He kind of looks around and nothing to see here, covers it up again, goes away, sells everything he's got, and he buys that field because of the treasure that's in it. Well, with God, you don't go half in. You put all your chips in, you bet 100% on him, and you're not foolish if you do that. You'll have true treasure with him. Don't hedge your bets, go all in with God. Because if we've got money, well, the temptation is that we can trust in our money instead of trusting in God. We think that money is a kind of shield that can prevent bad things happening to us, stop things going wrong in our life, and if we have a problem, we'll just throw some money at it to solve it and to make it go away. That's what trusting money looks like rather than trusting God. See, if God's blessed us with financial abundance in this life, if he's done that for you, well, he hasn't done it so that you can be independent from him. Doesn't, hasn't done it so that you can be independent from God's people either. Check out this proverb. If it, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous man, the righteous one runs to it and is safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. See what it's saying? If you've got financial resources to draw on, well, you're tempted to make that your stronghold and your tower that'll keep all those horrible things that could happen to you away. But that's only an illusion. Only God can do that for you, not money. Having financial resources can encourage us to feel independent from God. Rich people imagine their money can save them. But if we're wise, we'll see money for what it really is. Money is a tool... It's nothing more, and it can't replace God. Now, don't forget, after all, that Jesus was betrayed for money. Think about Judas. 30, was it 30 pieces of silver? Enough for a dirty deed done dirt cheap. Jesus betray, betrayed for money by Judas. Don't put money ahead of your commitment to him. Don't be a Judas. That's the first thing Proverbs wants us to see, and it's probably the most important thing of all. Now, the second one I've picked out is a bit more practical. Proverbs wants to teach us that wealth is no substitute for hard work. 
work is actually God's good gift and money is the reward for work. See, most of the time, God doesn't miraculously feed us like he fed the Israelites in the desert with manna that just drops down from heaven. God actually provides for us and for the needs of this world through the ordinary hard work of his people, the kind of stuff most of us go out Monday to Friday to do. That nine to five grind is God's provision for us. And the temptation is to get money other ways. Most obviously, you can go and steal it, can't you? You can rip people off to get it. And Proverbs has a lot to say about people who use dodgy weights and measures to get ahead. Investments that seem to be too good to be true. At the beginning of the year, the Powerball jackpotted. One woman from Sydney won more than $100 million just like that. Overnight, her bank balance added about eight zeros to it. Week after week, people put in their entries in the Powerball, hoping that this week will be the week that solves all their problems. One ball can change it all. But in fact, we're actually warned away from get-rich-quick schemes, whether it's the lottery or whether it's a dodgy dodgy pyramid scheme. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Now, sadly, there's quite a few people who wish that they'd never won the lotto in hindsight. That might seem strange to you, but it's quite common. Maria Deverell was a woman who won $5 million in Oz Lotto back in 1999 when she was living on the New South Wales south coast. Wasn't great at managing her money, and so she asked one of her friends, who was an accountant, to help her manage it. Now, Peter Kelly was his name and things didn't work out too well. There was constant arguing between the accountant and this woman, Maria, over how she was using the money. The accountant lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in a dodgy property deal and the final argument came to an end when the accountant went out and grabbed a wooden mallet and beat her to death with it. That's how the lotto story ended for Maria Deverell. Not nice, is it? See, the alternative path is working hard for money, which is where Proverbs wants us to be. We chew over a few Proverbs here. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. The appetite of labourers works for them, Their hunger drives them on. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. And we've got to be a little careful here. The promise isn't that the harder you work, the more money you will have. That's not how it works. I know that the CEO of BHP works just as hard as the husband and wife who run my favourite cafe in Gladstone. The hours are similar, but one of them is making an awful lot more money than the others. No, the promise here is that under normal circumstances, if we work hard, you'll have enough to meet your needs, to feed yourself, to clothe yourself, and to have a roof over your head and to be in a position to help others in need. 
See, providing for yourself and the people who are dependent on you is healthy and right. God doesn't promise to make us rich through hard work, but he does promise to meet our needs. Now, I know you can idolise work and make it into something that you devote your life to, and that's the opposite mistake. But at the same time, I think we need a reminder that hard work is actually a good thing. It's normal and it's right, and our desire is not to be financially independent and retire early. See, if you're able to work, and I mean a wide definition of work here, something that's useful and valuable, whether it's paid, whether it's unpaid, whether it's at home, whether it's in a workplace, if you're able to work, you should. Proverbs uses that beautiful description here of someone who won't work, sluggard, it says. Isn't that a beautiful description? Don't expect to be able to eat. Don't expect other people to step in and take over your responsibilities for you if you are not prepared to work. Now, the third thing Proverbs has to teach us about wealth is that it actually is a good thing to realise that things can go wrong in life and we should be prepared for them. Time will come when income is not coming in whether that's just because of the time of year, whether that's because something unexpected in our lives has happened or gone wrong. See, no one plans to lose their job, do they? No one says, oh, this week, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. No. No one plans to get sick this week and say, oh, I'm going to have six months off work while I fight cancer. It just happens. None of us know when that's going to happen or what form it could take. But we do know that it could well happen to us and we need to be prepared. Now consider this from Proverbs 6 where we're actually encouraged to go to the simple ant. The little animal that we barely notice as we walk over the ground, that we step on without even realising, we're actually called to go to that animal and to learn wisdom from it. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways, be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, nor ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer. It gathers its food at harvest. Ants are wise enough to know that at particular times of year, there's food everywhere. So what do they do? They go out, they collect it, they store it up because the other season is coming when it's not going to be there. There's times where no matter how well qualified you are or how good a worker you are, when you won't be able to find a job. Oh, this is one of the sad things we're going through in Gladstone at the moment. There's some really well-qualified people who just cannot find work through no fault of their own. It's a difficult market. Gladstone's gone through a massive boom where all you had to have was a pulse and you could get a well-paying job. But now, completely different. And it's tough for some families. The point is that when the going's good, make sure you're ready for when times are tough. Proverbs 10 verse 5 is similar. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. For anyone who's gone through the depression, if you knew that generation, my grandparents' generation, completely changed the way that they looked at the world and their money. It was normal to hear people of that generation talk about 
putting something away for a rainy day. But that's an idea that's a little old-fashioned, I reckon, now. See, most people in Australia, whether you're on a great wage, earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, or whether you're on a Centrelink income, they're in exactly the same financial position where there's zero left over each week or a, a negative number. It's sad, isn't it? doesn't matter how much money is actually going into the bank. Well, one fortnight or a couple of fortnights of no job and suddenly it's a major disaster. Things start falling apart. Brothers and sisters, I know some ministers who are in this situation and would be in this situation if that were to happen to them. All of us need to be wiser than that so that we can take care of ourselves and our family so that we can help people, especially people within our church who are struggling and genuinely in need. That money won't make you rich, but it will save you when times are tough. Now, I know that lots of people here are living on budgets that are very tight. I understand that. That's true. The risk is that when I talk about this stuff that it'll just make people who are in genuine need feel misunderstood and hopeless and believe me, that's not my intention today. I'm speaking here to the majority of us who are in a position to do better. Now that's three ways Proverbs calls us to be wise with our money. Uh, first of all, to realise that wisdom is more valuable than money and ultimately it's God himself who represents our true riches and wealth. We find him by realising that he is more valuable than anything else. He alone has to have first place in our hearts. A second thing, working for money is right and good. A third thing, it's wise to put aside money for a rainy day, to be prepared if we possibly can be for hard times. A Proverbs, I reckon, is so good because it does get down into the nitty-gritty details of our lives and it addresses them. It calls us towards a better way of living by growing in wisdom. Now, maybe you're here this afternoon and you've heard some of what Proverbs has to say about money and at one level it's kind of interesting enough but you're wondering whether that's really worth spending our time, our valuable time together here, talking about. When there's so much else in Proverbs that we could be focusing on instead, maybe some topics that are even closer to the heart of the gospel and living for Jesus, and just leave money for those experts in the community outside the church who know what they're doing. Now, I'm convinced that money is so important that we should be talking about it in church. And it's remarkable how often money actually comes up in the Gospels as Jesus teaches and preaches about the kingdom of God. So as we finish up, I want you to come with me to Luke chapter 16. It's going to come up on the screen there for you, where Jesus has something to say which should make us think very carefully about how much attention we pay to our money habits. Jesus tells the parable of the dishonest manager, this guy who works for a rich man, and the rich guy finds out that the manager is wasting his money in different ways. And so this dodgy manager, in the short time that he's got left before he's going to lose his job, 
Well, he sets himself up for that future life in a really shrewd way. And at the end of the parable, Jesus sums it up and has this to say. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who'll trust you with true riches? And if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, who'll give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, what Jesus is saying to us there is that if we can't wisely use our money, which isn't really our money at all anyway, God's kind of given it to us on loan, entrusted it to us. If we can't use that money well that comes into our bank account each fortnight, the kind of wealth that's tied up with cars and jewellery and properties and houses and all that other stuff God's given us, if we can't handle that stuff wisely, well, we're not really equipped to be able to handle the really valuable stuff, the true riches of heaven, the kingdom of God that comes to us through the gospel. Do you notice that Jesus ends here where we started by saying that there are things more valuable than money? You can't serve both God and money. Brothers and sisters, how you use your money is a matter of great interest to the Lord. Your budget is a gospel matter. Your wealth is a gospel resource. Your wealth is a gospel tool with which to serve the Lord. So be very wise about it and seek to grow in that wisdom so that you set yourself up not just for this life, but set yourselves up for the life to come as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have met our needs, that we're here this morning because you provided for us over many long years. We ask, Father, that you'll continue to do that. Give us what we need for each day. Father, provide what we need so that we can care for ourselves, so that we can be generous to others in need, and so that we can learn to handle true heavenly wealth. Father, give us neither poverty nor riches. Give us our daily bread. Don't give us too little that we might disown you. Don't give us too much that we might say that we can do it on our own without you. We pray, Lord, that you might help us to be wise with our money, with our cash, and that you might appoint us to the generosity that you've shown us through your Son, the true heavenly wealth that comes in Jesus. We pray this now in his name. Amen. Thanks, Nath. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to break off into our groups again. We're going to do this for 20 minutes. The first 10 